What is up, citizens? Understory here, and we continue our interview series today with master copywriter and email marketer extraordinaire, Chris Orzakowski. Now, Chris sort of forced himself onto my Mount Rushmore of copywriters. I didn't really want to put him up there, but uh, I kind of had no choice after running through some of his trainings and just generally just meeting the man. So uh, I guess that's kind of his personality. He is, I would say he's, he's a little aggressive in his tactics, but uh, I enjoy it. And I think you're going to enjoy it too. He has a lot to offer for solopreneurs, copywriters, and email marketers. And so without further ado, I present to you, Chris Orzakowski. Well, hello there, citizen. Welcome to the Understory Bard Podcast, where I teach solopreneurs and copywriters how to get paid more for their craft using timeless foundational principles, such as the proven frameworks used by American humorists, the principles behind the classic American business, and the secret path through the understory. Admission to the understory is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, citizens? Understory here, and today I'm talking with you on the interview series with Chris Orzakowski. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. You are on my Mount Rushmore of uh, of email providers, if you will, of uh, email superstars, rock stars. So uh, let's get right into it. I know we're kind of pressed on time because you're a busy man, and I'm grateful for the time that uh, that you've given us. But why don't we start with a little bit of uh, the the classic, you know, how you got into the business that you're in now and where you came from? Just a couple of minutes on that for people that may not be familiar with your pretty cool story. Yeah. So I I graduated college. Uh, you know. I wrestled, didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to coach. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll just be a teacher and coach wrestling, you know? Um, so I, you know, got the master's degree, did the whole thing, got the teaching job. And like day one, I was like, I came home from school. I was like, oh man, this really sucks. I don't want to do this. But <laughs> you spend six years in college. It's like, all right, well, you know, I got to figure out what's next. So I, uh, I knew that there were people who like made money online. And like one of the people you know, who did that was a guy who was like my mentor, this guy, Zach Evanesh, who, you know, he was like one of the OG, you know, strength conditioning guys back in the day. Like he had his, you know, physical brick and mortar gym, but then he was selling eBooks and courses and certifications and things like that online, starting back from like, you know, 2003, 2004 was when I first learned about him. So I kind of grew up kind of under his wing and saw what he was doing and selling all this stuff online. I was like, this is so cool. He just like makes money on the internet. And I was like, I always kind of had that itch and I was like, you know what, like maybe now it's time. So as soon, like almost as soon as I started teaching, I was like, let me start figuring out this make money online stuff because maybe that's something that I could do long-term. So I actually started out as like a blogger. I had like sites. I didn't start as a copywriter because um, I had some strength conditioning sites. I figured I'd do the same thing as Zach, but then I kind of morphed into like, you know, none of those sites are really successful. I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, this was probably back in like 2013, 2014. And then I had one site that did pretty well. It's called Wrestling Coach Academy. And I started teaching people like about like coaching wrestling because that's what I was doing. And I was like, I started growing email lists and I was emailing every day. And this is before I ever even took a copywriting course, but I was selling affiliate products. I was doing all like the web development myself, which was a nightmare. Uh, I was, you know, I had a podcast also. I was like interviewing with the top high school and college wrestling coaches. It was pretty crazy. You know, it's like 23 years old to be doing all this stuff. But uh, I just wasn't making a ton of money. Uh, really not much money at all, you know, outside of a couple bucks here and there on some affiliate stuff. So I said, you know, I'm spending like six hours a night on this and it's cool and it's fun, but like, I don't know if I'm able to turn this into like real revenue. And maybe I could have, if I stuck with it, I don't know. But I said, what is the thing that I enjoy about 
all of this stuff that I'm doing, all this online stuff. And it was the writing part. I always loved writing like in high school and college and those kind of things. Like I'd always take classes where I could write a paper versus taking a test. I was good at taking tests too, uh, naturally, but I enjoyed writing the papers more. So I said, okay, let's just double down on this copywriting thing. And then once I found out what these people make, I was like, you know, it's pretty much thousands of dollars essentially to hand a Google document to a client. Say, here you go. I was like, I could do that. I was like, I know words. It's just, if you just assemble the words in the right order, that's literally all it is. It's just, you know, all the words you need to write copy. It's just, you got to put them in the right order. Right. So I, said, I bet I could figure that out. I said, it might take me a while, but other people do it. Like, why can't I do it? Right. So started doing that, started working with clients. Um, I think I got my first paying client back in like 2015 and then just kept like reinvesting all the money for my day job and, uh, you know, all the money for my business into like, you know, coaching and these kind of things and growing, you know, eventually I started growing an email list and publishing content and all these things, started writing books. And then, uh, here we are today. I love it. Yeah. You said something that's really good is, is that, uh, you know, we know the words, right. And it's, it's assembling, it's assembling them together. I think a lot of people that they're intimidated by copywriting or email marketing because they feel like they have to, you know, write the next great American novel or something like that. And really it's, it's, um, you do have to have some creative skill, but it's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a skill to be learned. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so do Absolutely. you think, I mean, what do you think the biggest problem is for people when they start trying to be a copywriter or do email marketing or, or what, what, what's the biggest stumbling block that you see? Well, I think that there's two things that I see a lot. Like one, the first thing I see is that there's people who aren't writers trying to do this. And I don't want to like discourage anyone, but like, like I'm not going to go play in the NBA. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a six foot dude who's uncoordinated like not gonna make it they're not gonna have me they're not gonna have me in the nfl either they're not gonna have me anywhere <laughs> i know that my my path is not a professional athlete like sometimes i'll see writers and they're they can't even like string a sentence together and i don't mean to like talk smack about people but it's like sometimes i'm like you haven't like mastered the art of writing generally let alone writing as a copywriter right so like you know I think it's fun. Like if you think you have the gift for it or you have a natural inclination for it, I think that's the first thing. And then if you don't, it's not a big deal. There's a lot of stuff you can do online, but it doesn't necessarily have to be copywriting. Some people are just like gifted media buyers, the way they think about like different audiences and lists and segments and blah, 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 blah. Right. So there's a lot of different paths. I'm not saying discouraging completely, but that's the first thing I see. And the second thing I see with um, copywriting is like a lot of people try to like write like they are Gary Halbert or Claude Hopkins or like some of these, you know, great writers to like learn from. Absolutely. But like some people like they try to turn everything into like this almost like cheesy direct response style with like um, instead of just writing like a normal person. Right. Like good copy. When you're reading good copy, you don't even realize you're reading copy. You're just kind of like in the moment you're kind of flowing through the words like it's sometimes you see stuff and you're like oh this is very carlton-esque and it's very like yeah i don't know if i'm describing not that it's a bad thing but like there's kind of like a certain this like direct response voice that a lot of copywriters like to take on when they're writing um they all kind of emulate the same style of like uh you know, old school, like carnival barker, direct response type writing that I tend to see. I don't know if, if I'm making sense. No, but, you may, it uh, makes perfect sense. I mean, I do that myself sometimes when I'm right now, I'm really in a bullet theory, right? So I, I practice a lot of different types of bullets and, and if you can fall into those habits, but I, one thing that I think that solves that issue is reps, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, even if you suck, as long as you keep doing reps, you'll eventually get tired of sounding like Gary Halbert or, you know, or tired of sounding like me or tired of sounding like you. It's, it's one of those things where um, the reps come in, but that's why I think you have to have the inclination to writing or you have to like it because you're going to have to do a lot of it. 
You know, I mean, how many emails do you think that you've written in the last emails and copy in general in the last year, two years, five years? I, oh, mean, the, the, I mean, well, in my career, definitely more than 10,000, um, you know, in the last year, probably anywhere between a thousand and twelve hundred. I mean, like I, I haven't written as much just because, um, you know, I have my team. And, and, you know, I'm the agency and things, but like I used to, I used to pump out 15 to 30 emails a week, every single week consistently for like over four years. Yeah. Um, when I was working for John Nasraf and Jeff Walker and a number of other clients on top of them. And that's when I was still teaching too. Like I was just a machine. Um, but still, like I still write one or two emails a day for my own list. Um, I'm still writing emails for clients. I'm still working on emails for, you know, like coaching students, things like that. I'll look at stuff and I'll kind of rewrite stuff on the fly and, you know, uh, friends who have businesses like, so I'd say between in the past year, probably at least a thousand, you know, just because, um, I'm just always doing it, you know, we're going back and revamping old stuff. So it's a lot. When you're, let's talk about a little bit about that, that period where you were basically on your run, right. Where you were pumping out 15 to 30 emails a week, every week consistently for four years. Did you have a sort of a, you know, a productivity system or just a way that you, something that you did to do that, that helped you? Because if you're going to, you know, like when you, if you're going to do that much writing, it's a grind, you know? And so mm-hmm. did you have something that helped you do that besides drinking water and getting enough sleep, Mr. Gotta I love drink you. water. You gotta drink water. Breathe. You gotta breathe. If you got if oh you guys, God. if you're not following Chris on Twitter, you gotta follow him because he's he's hilarious. He's he's a man after my own heart with uh he's a he's a water Twitter thread disrespecter. So what <laughs> what is your what is your Twitter handle right now? Say it, I'll put it in uh, at at Chris Orzy, O-R-Z-Y. Okay. Um so back to the question. So besides drinking water, sleeping and breathing air, did you have something that helped you basically, you know? rock rock that amount of productivity um you know trying to think back um i've experimented with different things you know the 33 minute 33 second eugene schwartz thing there's the pomodoro 25 i've done those i've done um dean jackson focus finder you know 50 minutes on on 20 minutes off, 50 minutes on. But really the thing that worked best for me um it really hasn't been a productivity system it's like the Hey, the emails are due tomorrow. They're getting sent to a list of 600,000 people. We need this promo done by the time we get into the office. Cause like, you know, when I work with NeuroGym, like they were on California time. So, and I, I was teaching during the day. So it actually worked out pretty well because I get home at about four, four thirty, five o'clock, whatever it was. And then I'd be able to work from five to 10 at night. Right. So I'd kind of be on their schedule because they wouldn't get in the office until noon of my time. Um, so it was like, Hey, we need these six emails for tomorrow. Cool. I'm on it. Done. Right. Like I'm not going to get fired. I want to, I want to continue this gig. I want to rock this promotion. So it was almost like my feet were just held to the fire. And I'd said, dead, I'd said daily deadlines for, for years and years and years. And I had so many projects that I'd said daily deadlines. Yeah. So the thing is like the copies, the email has to go out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like you can't la-di-da around. Like the email's getting sent. Like the webinar is on Saturday. We need the email to go out tomorrow. You know, like there's no – that's the thing. A lot of people like productivity systems are great. But like even now, like I have two kids. Like everyone's like, how much do you – how do you get so much stuff done? I'm like, I have to get this stuff done. I have, yep. I don't have another choice. Yep. Like, you know, my wife, We you know, we retired her this this year. It's just me. Like I am on the trapeze with no safety net. So – the way I look at it is like the work has to get done. There's no other option. It's not like, oh, I don't feel the muse hasn't whispered in my ear to like, that's not an option. The work's got to get done. It's got to get shipped. We got to make stuff happen. We got to make revenue happen. We got to make sales happen. We got to make the emails go out. We got to make all this stuff happen. A lot of people don't 
have that. They don't have that fire. They don't have that drive. They, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, maybe it's because I was a wrestler and I kind of had that discipline growing up and everything else, but I just always looked at it. Like, I don't have any other choice. Like, this is what I've chosen to do. I burned every lifeboat. I, with the shit that I've said online, I'm not getting a job anywhere. It's like, there's no other option. Like, this is it, you know, like we got to make this work and, or, 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 you know, or, or that's it. So, well, and and that's, there's two, there's a couple of things to unpack there. And one is the, the idea of a Genesis deadline, right? So um, Steve jobs from Apple used to do that where he would give these ridiculous deadlines and he'd be like, you have to be like, we can't hit it, but people would normally hit it or come close because it's a deadline forces you to get the job done. And the amount of work will fill the deadline. For, for, mm-hmm. for to compress it or to expand it. So I I think you give, you know, don't give yourself short shrift on that with regards to that hitting deadlines is a skill, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me personally, when I, so I ghostwrite, I was, I had to write three articles a day for, you know, uh, I had a, I had a 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. deadline every single day that I had to do three articles a day. When I was ghostwriting those articles, I did, you know, 150,000 words in five months every single day with no breaks for five straight months. And it was just a deadline as I get it got done. Now I stopped doing that and I, I don't, without that deadline, I would never do that now. Right. Because I didn't have, but you have to be able to learn to put that deadline. In. And I think that's a very, that's a very important, a very important tip for people for sure. I think the second thing I think that you said, I think we can touch a little bit on your writing is that, you know, you're sort of what I call an authentic creative collaborators. Like you are yourself in your emails, right? You are yourself online and you say things, you disclose things that it's, you may be hard for you to get a job in the future in the corporate world, right? Because of those <laughs> things. But talk me through a little bit about why that's a successful approach for you and, and um, what you've learned through that process a little bit in terms of just putting yourself out there like that. I mean, the big thing is like, I'm just me and I don't know how to be anyone else except for me, you know? So that's like the first thing that I tell people. Like one guy asked me one time, I was at Copper Chief Live a few years ago, this writer came up to me, he's like, how much of this is like an act? I was like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, this is who I am. Like, I'm just some, you know, quasi Polish Guido from New Jersey who likes to, uh, you know, talk a lot of shit and uh, have fun and make inappropriate jokes and do things like that. That's what I like to do. You know, Um, I, I don't know. Like, it's funny because there's, I guess I'm like an outlier in that regard. Maybe that's just what it is. Right. Because a lot of writers, they're kind of squirrely and introverted and um you know they're word nerds everyone's a word nerd right and like that's not me like i'm a i'm a i'm a chad i'm not a nerd you know what i mean like that's kind of like i'm an athlete mm-hmm. like that's i think of myself through those lens right i don't think of myself as like some you know some uh some like the stereotypical writer to a i'm just myself and b i just like to have fun and make people laugh and be wildly different at all costs you know like that's the thing like yeah like i'm a little bombastic and yet uh, sometimes i'll say crazy stuff for effect obviously sometimes things are a little hyperbolic but it's always kind of like in the service of making people laugh or making people smile and you know just building a, a unique bond with with my people but it's not like a charade like this is how i talk with my friends and family you know what i mean it's just like just kind of dude i am um <clears throat> And I think that what I learned is when you're yourself, you're obviously not going to you know please everyone. I have more unsubscribes than I have subscribers, right? But um, the people who do stay are the people who resonate with you and who like you and like your stuff and want more of it, right? So, and those people are out there because there's millions of people online, <clears throat> billions of people online, right? So your people are out there, um, unless you're like just a real weirdo hermit who you know has refused to interact with anyone. Like if you're a normal, r- relatively normal person, <laughs> you know, like you're not one of the extreme outliers. Like you probably have enough people who relate to you and have similar interests and similar worldviews and things like that. So 
you just got to put that stuff out there and then let your marketing become a filter, right? It's going to filter out the people who don't fit and it's going to leave the people behind who are a good fit. And that's what's cool about email because as I every single email I send, it acts as a filter, right? With every single email, my audience gets a little bit closer to the ideal of what I want it to be because the people who don't fit leave and the people who do fit stay. Yeah, no, and, and I think the, the pro, I think a lot of people, they, they adopt, a, if you try to adopt an act, then you're going to be, you're going to be constrained by that act forever. Like the worst thing that could happen is that you could get known for something that's not you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, did you ever hear of the unknown comic? You ever hear of that guy? No. So this is before your time. This is where I date myself, but there was a comic basically. And he, he started doing this bit where he put a paper bag over his head and it just had the two eyes out and he would go tell jokes, but then he could never take the bag off of his head. So for the, nobody ever knew who he was. He wanted to take the bag off his head, but he never could because people thought it was the bit that became funny, not the man. And that's one thing about if you, you know, if you're not yourself, you get, you can trap yourself into something and, and you can never get out of it. So I think that there's, there's an immense amount of utility in what you're doing because you, you know, you just get to be yourself, exaggerate some of the parts, but you're right. Like it brings people to you. I mean, that's what brought me to you and why I went up your value ladder about three seconds. <laughs> so we were talking. <laughs> and, yeah. I, I just want to add one more thing real quick about that. Um, <clears throat> I think the big fear that holds people back from like acting like they want to act and talking like they want to talk. Like, again, I'm not saying just go s- say spicy, inappropriate things for the sake of just doing it. Like, get yourself canceled. I'm not saying that. Right. But what I'm saying is that a lot of people, they are. Um, where's I going with this? They're afraid to do that. Um, of course, I had this brilliant thought, and now it's escaping me. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say. You're gonna, well, I think I think if I read your mind, what you were going to say was they're afraid to do that because they're afraid of some people not liking them. They want everybody to like. Them. Oh yes, that's exactly what. Yeah, they want everyone to like them, right? But the thing is, what I realized a long time ago, and I guess I was very fortunate to realize, is like people are going to talk shit about you. People are talking shit about you right now. Someone yeah. you know in your network around the world, wherever, hometown friend, college friend family member, whoever, right? Like someone's talking shit about you as we, as you're listening to this, someone is talking shit about you and okay. What are you going to stop living your life? You're going to stop being who you are. Like once you accept that reality into your heart and know that that's the truth, it's okay. You give yourself permission to just be yourself after that, because like, it doesn't matter what you do. Like I always like to say that, like I could give away winning lottery numbers in my emails. I could, you know, get, naked pictures of their favorite celebrity and put that in the email. I'm still gonna have unsubscribed. I'm still gonna have people say these nudes aren't tasteful enough. You know, like there's always <laughs> gonna be someone who's pissed off. That's what right. I'm saying. So like once you understand that, you, you can be a nice person, you can be Mother Teresa. There are people who didn't like Mother Teresa. You know what I mean? Like there's always someone who's not going to like you. And once you accept that and get over that, you're free to do whatever you want. Yeah, no, and you can't be a prophet in your own town, right? So mm-hmm. the, sometimes the people that are going to dislike what you're doing the most is the people closest to you, you know? So mm-hmm. like, I'm sure when you said, when you told your family, hey, I know I went to college for six years and I was, a, I'm a teacher with a good job and a good pension and I get summers off and all that. I'm going to quit that now and I'm going to go right for online. You probably have some people in your family that you're like, you're going to do what? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's hard because um, I was also like, you know, proposed to my girlfriend and then girlfriend, now wife, we were buying a house. So it, was, it wasn't just like, but the thing is, I see a lot of these guys on Twitter, especially they're like, they're 23. They they have no significant other. They, ha- they live with their parents. Like they have the biggest safety. Like they can do whatever they want. They, like nothing matters. Like, okay, you made money. Cool. You didn't make money. No big deal. Like you don't have responsibilities, you know? So I had responsibilities and I got let go from my first teaching job or non-renewed, they call it because they didn't think that I was good enough. So I had to tuck my tail between my legs and get another job 
and then leave that job. By that time, I I was like, you know, full speed ahead, like we got to make this happen. But yeah, even then, you know, it's kind of like because people don't get it. I can't blame them because it's this new weird thing. It's like, hey, I'm using the Internet. I'm meeting clients. I'm writing emails for clients. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? And um, but the thing is, you know, people talk about like survivorship bias, right? For every Chris Rosakowski, there's 99 other people. I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe you're right. But I'm just the dude who wouldn't stop. You know what I mean? At the end of the day. Like, yeah, maybe survivorship bias is a thing, but the person who survives is the person who tells themselves they're going to survive and they're going to be the one out of 100. And that's who I am. Yeah. And the, and the, the, that's the white herb effect. I talk about that a lot. Right. Where it's 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 like, yeah, they say, well, there had to be white herb because at least one dude was going to make it through there. Right. And so it just happened mm-hmm. to be white herb. But the thing about that is that I think <clears throat> the one thing that you hedge against with that is knowing yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you were smarter than me that you left a gig that you're teaching gig pretty quickly after you started it. I was in the trenches as a lawyer for 20 years and I just would never, I accepted generational advice from my parents, which is like, go be a lawyer, which was a terrible advice. Right. Because it just, it does it, better advice is figure out what a good fit is for your skills and for your temperament. Right. That's what you should tell mm-hmm. your, my opinion. That's what you should tell your kids. Don't tell them an actual job. And then, um, but the, the the writing and the copywriting and the email stuff for me is like, it has to work. That's I can't do anything else. Like that's what I'm supposed to be. That's for me, what I've discovered, what I must do because I'm, I'm actually not that good at anything else. Like I'm actually good at that. So I have to make that work somehow. And, and I think that that, I think a lot of the people that don't make it are trying to, to do a path or to do something that think looks cool or they think it's going to make the money or right. But if you're not a crusader for what you do and it's not something that you, that you can identify with, you're not going to make it. Oh Yeah. I mean, you could have been born in a time in a town where like your only option is to go be a coal miner for 40 years and then you die of the black lung. You know what I mean? So like, you know, you could be you could be and think of any uh, you could be alive during the Civil War. You could be alive during the Battle of Thermopylae and you're Persian and then you get slaughtered by a bunch of Spartans. You know, like right. think about the opportunity that you have how lucky you are to sit behind a computer type words into a box and money magical money comes out the other end you know what i mean like that's what i always tell myself i'm like man i'm soft i know i'm soft we all are compared to our ancestors compared to what they had to go through you know it's almost like are you honoring them or dishonoring them right by like with the excuses that you make about why you can or can't do something right so I, I look at it and I'm like, you know, I have an opportunity that no one else in my bloodline has ever had. I have an opportunity to build real wealth. Am I going to squander that opportunity? Like I've squandered opportunities in my life. Everyone has, right? Like I look at my college wrestling career. I wrote a newsletter about this and I said, you know, I basically got cut from the team my senior year, which like killed me. Like it just, my whole identity just vanished. Something I'd done my whole life, you know, I'm like, who am I? Like, what do I do now? Right. Cause that's, that's what I based my identity around. And the reason why was because, you know, I, I got kind of, uh, I had pericarditis my junior year. So I missed that whole season and I just couldn't come back, you know, senior year, I, I came back, but like just wasn't in shape. But even besides that, like I wasn't doing all the right things. I was partying. I wasn't focused. I didn't have the good mindset. I just wasn't, you know, I didn't have my edge. I lost my edge. Right. And I told myself <clears throat> after that happened, when I was like refinding myself, right? Like finding who I wanted to be after that. I said, whatever my next thing is, I don't know what it is, but no more half measures, right? Like no more half-assing it. Like whatever it is, I'm going to go balls to the wall and make it happen. And that's when I found copywriting and everything else. And so every day I wake up and I'm like, no half measures. Like there's no, there's no half, there's no 50% here. 
right? It's 100% all day, every single day. I'm going to lap everyone. I'm going to destroy anyone in my path. Like that is the mindset that I've adopted and taken because, you know, I just told myself like never again, you're never going to sell yourself short ever again. Now, do you find you draw a lot of those personal experiences in your emails and in your copy? Um, do you find how, when you were writing for somebody else, right? So, like, let's say that I hire you because you know you've had you've written for some big brands, right? You've written for Kiyosaki, you've written for Jeff Walker. Um, you know, how do you sort of find the, the the ability to write in those brands' voice, right, and kind of temper down that bombastic style that you have, maybe, so it's not a fit? Because when I try to do that. It's it's that is the hardest thing for me is because it's it's this ghostwriting is the hardest thing for me for someone mm-hmm. else, you know, but I do it. But it's like, what, what, what how do you do that? So, I mean, I, I've done some voice training with Abby Woodcock. Like when I got the job at Jeff Walker, we went through a whole process to like learn his voice. And that took me about eight months before I actually felt comfortable. I remember every single day for eight months, I'm like, these people are going to fire me. But eventually like one day and like month eight, it clicked. But it is hard. It's a, That's one of the hardest things in writing is to, to step into someone else's skin and be them, right? Um, I think what you learn is that there's kind of like everyone has like code running through their brain, Right. And I'm not a coder, but like, I understand generally how it works. Like there's code, you know, lines of code that are written that, you know, there's inputs that produce different outputs. Right. So like once you start to see the underlying code behind that person's voice and maybe it's the stories or maybe it's stylistically how they write. Right. Like if you look at read two people's work, um, you know, if you read the book of like Ernest, like one of Ernest Hemingway's books and then you read like, you know, a nonfiction book by like James Clear, like they're going to be very different writing styles. Right. Uh, very different voices. And like, well, why is that? It's like, well, there's you break it down into sentence structure, you break it down into um, literary devices, you break it into, you know, the ratio of action versus thoughts versus feelings versus dialogue versus literary devices. You break it down to there's the rhythm. Uh, is it staccato? Is it long run on sentences? So there's a lot of different stuff there that goes on. So some of that is decipherable, right? Like some of that you can actually reverse engineer and say, okay, this person, like I know I have certain stylistic things and we actually created a voice guide for me for so people on my team can write for me for certain things. Um, but I think it's part that and it's part like familiarizing yourself with the key stories uh, in someone's life that's influenced their business. Like Jeff has key stories, like Kiyosaki has key stories. You know, he wrote a whole book, including them, right? So like once you understand and internalize those, you start to get that person's mindset and how they think about things. You're not always perfect. Um, and that's the big thing, like writing in someone else's voice. Like, you know, I have people write stuff for me and I'm like, <clears throat> sometimes I'm like, hey, this is perfect. Ship it. Sometimes I'm like, ah, I wouldn't say this because I actually feel this way. And, you know, so we remove that ambiguity and then the writer learns and it's no big deal. You know, it's it's going to happen. It's part of the process. It is hard. But I think like, you know, whenever I get into someone's voice, listen to a lot of podcasts, watch some videos, read a lot of articles. If they have a book, I read it. Usually they have a book. You know, uh, I look at some of the other high performing pieces of copy, things that they're really proud of that they produced. And through that, you know, I put those inputs into my brain. I could hopefully get close enough um, with the first few pieces. Well, and this is something I think is what's so great about, you know, email and copywriting in going forward is that there's a lot of job security in, in it because there takes reps to do that. Right. So if you spend, let's say you spend three, six months getting the voice of a brand that you're writing for correct, you know, that there's a lot of job security in there because they're not going to want to go and retrain another writer to do that for them. Number one. Right. And then mm-hmm. number two is that obviously is if, is if you're the, the metrics on like say email campaigns, for example, is there's metrics, like you can just point to it. You can say, I made you X number of dollars. And so that's why, you know, going forward, email marketing for me, for me personally and my agency uh, and sort of the writing that I do and for my list is so 
valuable because I think there's going to be a lot of up- upheaval in the economy coming soon. But I think emails marketing is a great hedge against it. Are you, do you agree with that or what do you think? Yeah. I mean, like whenever, whenever there's like, you know, hiccups in the market or recession or whatever, like at least what I've seen in my nine year career, like um, people cut their ad spend because it's easy to click a button and turn that off. Right. But they got to make money somehow. So usually like, okay, well, we have an email list. We can go to the email list. And like, they're not going to usually cut off the email. Again, case by case basis, who knows, right? Uh, if they fire the whole marketing department, like the ship's going down anyway. So there's nothing you can do about that. But that usually doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, email, it's own revenue. It's it's the only channel that you can truly own, right? Like you don't own Facebook. You don't own Google. You don't own YouTube. You don't own TikTok. You don't own Twitter, any of these things, right? You borrow them, you rent from them, you use them, you lease them, but you don't own them. So that's why email and email is a consumable product, right? Because you always need to send new emails, um, which I love because it's kind of like supplements. Supplements are a great business to be in because you got to keep taking a supplement, Right. Email, you got to keep sending emails. Like, yeah, you can create automations, but what happens when you have a new product? Okay, you need emails for that. What happens if you have a yearly launch? You need emails for that. What happens if you're re-releasing an old product? What happens if you're promoting an affiliate thing, right? Like, there's always some email that needs to go out, um, you know, or or your automations. You need to update them. You have new products. So, like, whatever it is, like, there's always something happening uh, with email, which which I love about it. Yeah, well, it's a, I think it's a really good analogy is like emails are a digital supplement for your business, basically, right? Mm, and so, that's not bad. Yeah, like you can, hey, it's on here. You can take it, but everyone will, for the rest of the time, <laughs> will know that I said it, right? Um, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. And so, where do you, I mean, in terms of where do you see things going right now? And because I know that everyone now, every year, I feel like someone, some moron gets out there and says, emails are dying, emails are dead. And I, I actually think they're becoming more and more valuable. Um, I think the biggest problem going forward is going to be making sure that your emails get delivered, right? So, mm-hmm. like, is, can you give some, like, a, like maybe three tips to people, sort of things to do or things to avoid to make sure that, they don't screw their deliverability. Yeah. Um, so text emails will usually perform better in terms of deliverability. Oh, I'm a, um, I'm a picture. I'm a picture email disrespecter. I'm, I'm like straight text <laughs> the whole way. You, I like the way you do your, 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 your images and your emails, but I, I am a, I am a, I'm an image disrespecter. I like that. Um, we just make an anonymous Twitter handle on that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, text-based stuff tends to inbox better. Um, I like getting people to reply early and often because, you know, the more the people reply, the higher likelihood that it lands moves from the promo tab to the inbox. Um, things like domain authentication are super important too, especially if you have a bigger list and that usually gives people a big bump. Um, there's a lot of stuff we can do. You know, like people always talk about like no-no words and like there's definitely some things that you don't want to say in subject lines things like that. Like one of the tools that I used um, when I was working for clients was I used uh, Send Forensics, which and, and there's a lot of them. But you don't have to use that one. That's a good one. though. I like it. Send Forensics. And you basically just like send an email to an email address they give you and then it analyzes the email and says, okay, you need to change X, Y, and Z in order to up the deliverability or it gives you a score and kind of tells you like why it's losing points if it's on a blacklist. And what happens is after a while, you start to see certain things that uh, they're not all like super valid. Like I wouldn't necessarily write you know, completely make every single edit that they make. But I say, okay, can I change a couple of things here and see if we boost the score a little bit? And that'll teach you a lot about like how these, because these are all algorithms, right? And like, no, there's no book on, no, there's not like a book you buy. Like, here's how the algorithm works. Right. You know? It's not static. Part either. one, part two. Yeah. yeah. So it, exactly. It's always dynamic too. So like doing that, even from time, even if you just test one, a couple emails a month through that and just see what the feedback looks like and see, you know, 
use that as a North star. That's, that's usually a good idea as well. It makes a difference, man. I, I had a campaign I did for a client and I don't know what I was thinking, right? But this is a email marketer posting as else. And I, I put the word spam in the subject line, right? Cause, mm-hmm. but I was talking about canned spam because it was yeah. this whole thing about, about the Phil you know, in the Philippines, how they dropped spam into that. It was like, it was the best email in the series too. And nobody opened it because for whatever reason, mm-hmm. psychologically it had just that word spam in it or it didn't get delivered. Or I don't know what happened, but those things do make a difference. But I think, I, I, you know, that's just the only way that you can learn really is reps and, and that's emailing your list every, do you, you email your list almost every day, right? Yeah. And I wouldn't say every day, like some days I like, I don't think I emailed on Saturday, you know, like I, I got up and I was like, you know what, we're going to go to the park and feed the ducks. And that's what we did. And I didn't email. So like, you know, I don't do it every day. Um, but you know, it helps. Uh, the thing is, like, you don't have to write a broadcast every day. Like, if you have an autoresponder where there's emails going out every single day, like, you know, that counts as the way I look at it because a certain segment is getting those emails and receiving messages. And that's what I really like. And that's what we're doing more of with my business, automating a lot more where we can have emails going out to different people. Because I do this for clients. And like, it's almost like a cobbler's kids have no shoes. Like I've just been so busy building everything and doing stuff for clients that I haven't built my own suite of automation. But that's something we have. And we're actually almost about ready to go live with for new subscribers and people through our funnels and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely helpful because think about like, you know, who are you better friends with? The person who you see on a weekly or daily basis or the person who you see once a year? Like obviously, you know, frequency increases the bond, right? So um, do you have to do it every day? No, I don't think you have to do it every day. I mean, there's certain stages of business that you're in where it might make sense to do that or might not make sense to do that. Um, like, you know, people like I have a list of, you know, 400 email subscribers. Do I need to be emailing every day? I'm like, no, you need to be growing your list. Right. That's where your time should be going. Right. Um, you can, and you'll probably make sales, but like eventually, okay, even if you get 200 people, if you get 50% of people to buy your list, uh, to buy who are on your list, like eventually, like you're going to have diminishing returns. And like maybe you have a $50 product and like you get one sale a week. Like, does it really make sense to continue to beat that drum or focus that time that you could be writing those emails on getting new people through the front door? So, like, it's all, it's always like, it's nuanced my my take on that but i think generally more frequency is better um like i said you know there's days when i'll email three times in a day and there's days when i won't email at all so uh and i think a lot of that too as you said it it's 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 market specific as well right like mm-hmm. if you if you if you're marketing to copywriters right like they like words so send them words yeah. you know but there's it's and that's the thing is there's no magic everyone thinks there's like magic words right i got to know the magic words i got to know the magic system i got to know you know the magical thing and i think you know, foundational principles are where it's at. And that's why one thing I enjoy about your emails and sort of how you run your business is that I can see the foundational principles in what you do. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's, you just do this, you just do what's works and you double down on what works. I mean, I think people get too cute. Is, is there, is there a, is there a Chris loss we can talk about that where you got too cute with something? Cause I always think I always like to humanize people with, with uh, something that didn't quite work out. You already did though. Getting, cut, um, from, getting cut from the wrestling team. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I got cut from the basketball team and I'm six, four and a half. So I feel, I feel you, you gotta be really bad at basketball to get cut from the basketball team when you're six, four and a half. <laughs> yeah, so. For real. Um, I'm trying to think like uh, marketing experiments that have run. Um, I mean, like, it's not like a cute thing. I have another one. Like I, 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 you know, you learn a lot about like your list through just running experiments and seeing what happens. Like we tried, well, it was my idea and I kind of scrambled the jets with the team. And so this is me posting my L, but I basically like, I kind of read the tea leaves wrong with my list. Um, And I said, I think by now, 
after two and a half years of the newsletter and after all the email stuff that I've showed people, like I've talked to a few people and like they want, they're starting to grow their list and starting to like launch their own products. I said, maybe I think that's the direction everyone wants to go in. Right. So I kind of took my maker a monthly offer and said, let's change it around to be more of like a high ticket continuity, not high ticket, like mid ticket, like, you know, two ninety seven a month. And I said, okay, that's twice as much as it is now, but I'm going to do monthly calls. I'm going to bring in experts. I'm going to beef it up with all these extra trainings. I'm going to make it like the only thing you need. And I thought about it. I said, 300 bucks a month for coaching, like for to get feedback from me. Like, I don't think that's, you know, there's people out there that charge a thousand dollars a month for like similar type things. I said, man, 297 is a drop in the bucket. Right. And we'll talk about list growth and I'll help people with that. And I said, list growth, list growth, list growth. Like this is the thing. And I launched it. We had our worst month of sales uh, for for that for the continuity offer that we've ever had. I said we got like one person. Or sorry, no, we got two. One person one month and then one person joined August 1st. Um, and I was like, damn, <laughs> you know, we usually get 20, 30, 40 people to join uh, on a monthly basis. Right. And I was like, man, I really misread that. And I had to just own that up. So, um, but that's the thing, like, I wouldn't have known. Like maybe it was the price, maybe it was the content, maybe it was the fact that it was summer, maybe it was a number of different, maybe it was the comedy, like who the hell knows, right? But or maybe it's a combination of all those things. I don't know. But um, but what I'm willing to do is I'm willing to test those things out and say, like, you know, we don't know until we try, right? Um, maybe people in retrospect, like, that was a stupid idea. You should have never done that. I'm like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have, but I wouldn't have known. You know, now I know. And now I know what the offer is. And sometimes if you have a good thing, you don't mess with it. You gotta dance with the one that brung it, you know. Yeah, well, and I, but I think that's another important point is that you still got to A B test things, right? So mm-hmm. once you have an established business, you're trying to figure out, you know, on the RevOps side, okay, what are we going to do? It's okay to test, but it's what's not okay is to like stick to your guns and be like, no, this is going to work and do that for three more months. And then, you know, one thing it did work for me though was with the scarcity because you're like, I'm up in this next month. I was like, oh, I better get on that. So, so I was like, yeah. I knew I was going to subscribe, <laughs> but, but, uh, no, and you're, and I, I, your email, your, um, your, uh, oh, I just spilled, just spilled something. All right. You're, uh, your email, your monthly continuity, your email newsletter is, are, is totally worth it. So I would highly recommend anybody, but it's one that I only have three. There's only three things I pay for, for a monthly continuity like that. And you're one of them. So I would highly recommend, I have no problem. I don't get, you know, you're not going to give me any money for that, but you should. I can. No, I'm no. As an affiliate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So, so now where's, where do you see yourself going from here? Right. So you, you're doing, you know, you've got the agency, you've got, um, I know you're big into, you know, you know, or is these cross the Rubicon, right? So you're like, I'm going to dominate. Where's the next, where's the next place that you're going so that people can kind of be like excited, get start to get excited. Like what's next on the, on the Orsi train. So, um, I want to scale up the, basically what I realized about the email copywriter brand is like, we are a brand that, you know, the more and more I'm learning about the audience and the type of people who buy our products and like the motivation, those kind of things. Like we have brand owners, we have agency owners, we have brick and mortar people, we have digital product people, we have a lot of email marketers and copywriters, but I really think it's a company that's just going to exist. And the purpose is going to serve is to train, turn people into better email marketers through education and those kind of coaching and those kind of things. So I, my goal is to really scale up that part of the business. In terms of the services side, I've actually started taking on clients myself. Um, we still have a few agency clients here and there, but um, you know the agency thing is tough because it's tough with with team. Like figuring out that's a whole different Rubik's cube. Like you know, obviously we have my one person agency program, um, and that's a clean, nice business model. It's it's nice and easy. It's streamlined. It's step one, step two, step three, step four. But when you have um, you know labor, essentially, you have to 
you know, retool the math. Sorry, when you have as much labor as I do, right? Like when you have five people touching a certain product because you want it to be boutique and super, you know, according to my specs and standards and like, you know, I can't just... I need to see everything still. I'm, I know I'm the bottleneck with that, right? So like we still have some clients there who like are super high end, more of like a boutique type job that we do. But like I was originally trying to build like this productized service agency where like we'd scale, we have, you know, 50 clients, 100 clients, whatever it is. But like, I just realized like that's just not who I am. Like I'm more Howard Gossage than David Ogilvie or Bill Bernbach, right? Like I'm just a gossage. That's who I am. Like, I like having my hand in it. I like having my thumbprint in it. Even if someone else writes it, I like working with them on the strategy and the messaging and the psychology behind it. And then maybe tweaking some things here and there. Like, I just like being involved. I can't, I just, maybe it's a a flaw. I can't completely hand it off. If it was a different kind of agency where it was like media buying, I don't care. Sure. You know, we get good people in there, people who are better at that than I am. But like when it's email stuff, it's so, so close to my heart. It's like, you know, that forces us to take on less clients and just do more high-end boutique work. So it's a smaller pool of people who can pay our fees because we charge an astronomical fee for the work that we do. Um, but I've even started taking on some clients freelancers to keep my act sharp because, you know, I go through phases where like I do something for a while, like I ran the agency for years. And now I'm like, you know, I kind of want to do some projects myself just to keep my act sharp and see if I still got it. And I do. Right. Um, but it's like, I kind of go through like peaks and valleys and say, you know, what is the next problem? Like what's the next mountain I want to climb? And like, I kind of, wrote so much on e-commerce email, I'm like, I could still keep talking about it. But like, what else do I need to say? Like, I've just do what I told you already. You know, like I have 30 something issues on e-commerce email marketing. Like I'll still talk about it. Right. And I'll still do case studies and break down stuff for doing and experiments and running. Like at a certain point, it's like, you know, do I need to keep reinventing? Do I need to talk about card abandonment sequences again? No, just go and do it. Right. So I think the next challenge for me or the thing that I want to conquer is, you know, client acquisition. And like, I think I'm one of the best people I'll say this. I don't care. Like, I don't care if people think I'm bragging because I am. I think I'm, my client acquisition stuff is some of the best in the game. So I'm actually publishing a book uh, called Client Acquisition. And it's going to be for, you know, I, I have so many people who they're like, I want to buy your stuff or I want to invest in your stuff. Like, I, I, you know, I don't have enough clients or I just lost a client or I'm struggling with my first client. I'm like, you know what? Let's solve this problem once for all. So that's what the book's going to do, right? I'm like, let's solve this problem for everyone. Let me teach you how to get clients, right? Forget all the BS you've seen out there. Forget cold emailing a thousand people a week. Forget all that stuff. We're not going to do that. I'm going to show you how to get clients. I'm going to show you how I've gotten clients. I'm going to show you how I've gotten some of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, even though no one knew who the hell I was, I was a public school teacher, right? Like, how do you do that? How does that happen without cold email, without burning out, without hating your life, without by actually getting to write and do the stuff that you enjoy and not worry about acquisition all the time? How do you build a pipeline rather than carry buckets? Like, that's what this book is going to be about. So uh, the book should be coming out next uh, November, the end of November. I, I'm in the process of writing it. Uh, we have... We have the funnel done. I just need to write the book. Now. I have the outline. I have it all in my head. I just need to get it on the paper. I just need a day to like go and and you know start pumping it out. But it'll get done. But um, yeah, client acquisition. I'm really excited about it because there's just so many people. And I say, man, if I could just solve that problem for everyone, your whole life's going to change. It's never going to be the same. Like if you know how to get clients and you have a consistent, predictable, repeatable way to do that you're never going to go hungry again. You're never going to have to worry about money again because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you change services. It doesn't matter if you raise your price, lower your price, if you offer something different, if you work for a different niche, it doesn't matter. If you understand the art and science of client acquisition, you can write your own ticket. Well, and that's just a, seems to me to be a natural next step in your value ladder, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's your, you know, you've spent the last six, seven, eight years, you know, email and teaching email and, and getting good at that. And like you said it yourself, it's like, you you want to keep things fresh 
so that you keep doing, you know, stay in your zone of genius. And that's the, the, the through line of our conversation that we've talked about today is like, know yourself, right? So, but don't be afraid. You you have to go too far to know where the line is, right? So, like when you increase mm-hmm. your your the uh, the monthly continuity, that didn't work. When you you, know, you start started to scale the the agency to a certain level, you're like, I can do this, but this isn't the life that I want to have. You, you you dial it back, and that's it's reps are the way, you know. And you've got to be willing to put yourself out there, and and um, you got to be willing to put yourself out there and and go too far, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's the one thing I think is that a, the takeaway from kind of what we're talking about today. I mean, is is there anything else that you can think of for someone that's just starting out besides, you know, the, the, like three keys for starting out? You're like, someone's like, they're in a job, they hate it. They're, they're just like you, they're a teacher. What is the first one or two or three things that they should start doing to, to, to find their way out of that? Top Gun soundtrack on repeat every day. That's number Play, one. Playing with the, playing with the boys, hundred percent. Playing with the boys, you know, um, great balls of fire, you know, uh, number two, I would say you got to surround yourself with other writers. Um, you got to surround yourself with people who are doing it. And because no one in your day job is doing this. No one in your friend circle is doing this. No one in your family's doing this, right? Like very, very low chance of that happening. So like you have to put yourself in communities with other people, with other players. That's why I'm such a big fan of Copy Chief because it's players, right? Everyone there is a pro. Uh, even if you're a newbie, like there are people who are working on career development. So like I, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. I joined back in 2015. I've been there ever since. Kevin's been my coach and mentor. And, um, you know, my business has grown like a weed, right? Um, but I don't know if that would happen. Like it's the five monkeys theory, right? Like you're the average of the five people you you spend the most time with. So um, if you're hanging out with people who don't do this, you're not going to do it either. So like that's a big thing. And then the other thing is like um, obviously like reps, it, it's reps of client acquisition. It's, it's failing a lot and learning what's good. And then it's also just – you know, I think for most people, actually, like the the one piece, of, the third piece of advice I'll give, like to get your reps, is like go get a job. It could be a part time thing, like it could be on an agency. It could be that the thing that people don't. What they do is they go and they start. Say, I'm going to be a copywriter, so they start cold emailing. They get no clients. They sit on their hands for six months and say, "Oh, this doesn't work." You could have just went and got a job. You could have gotten paid, even if it's not what you want to get paid. But you could have gotten paid something and had projects and have a book. You have a portfolio by the end of that, right? Like you have connections. People know who you are. You know people you've worked with. Clients. You have logos, right? You have a trophy case. You have brains that you've worked with. Uh, people don't do this stuff, and then they stay stuck. And then two years goes by, and they're like, "Man, this copywriting thing is really hard." I'm like, if you just went and got a job, like if, if two years from now you're still going to be in the same spot where you're at, wouldn't it make sense to just get a job for twelve? months, right? And in 12 months, you're 10 times further than you would have been on your own. So people get sold in the lifestyle. So no, I wouldn't ever get a job, even if it's a remote thing or a retainer thing, like go get a job, go get a job being a copywriter. See if you actually like it. See if that's actually the thing you want to do. For most people, it probably is, right? If you have the inclination. Um, But like, if you go and like my retainers kind of were jobs. Like when I was working with Neurogym, I, I, it was a contract, but I was, you know, working 25, 30, 35, 40 hours a week, uh, depending on what we had going on. And I was in addition to my teaching job. Right. So I was basically working 80 hours a week between the two, but I loved it. I came, I showed up every single day. I didn't miss one deadline, two and a half, 31 months. Right. Um, Cause I just showed up and made it happen. So I think if you do that, you'll get those reps in naturally. No, I think that's great advice. I mean, that's that's how I got started on copywriting is I went on Upwork and I just started having people pay me for like the crappiest jobs ever. Mm-hmm. And but I got reps and I didn't care about how much money I made because I learned how to get a client. I learned how to uh, like which type of writing that I want to do. Do I want to do straight up ghostwriting? Do I want to, you know, whatever, email marketing, whatever. So I, I think that's all really, really, really good advice. 
there's so much to unpack here and I really enjoyed you coming by today and um, just giving us all this value and all this, this great, great advice of past forward people that want to do copywriting or email marketing. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming in today. Thanks so much, Wade. Appreciate you having me. No, absolutely. And just remember, citizens, there is no end as long as you stay in the path of understanding. All right, citizen. I know you want to escape the current understory that you are in. I get it. I've been there. But in order to do that, you will need a creative clearing to stand in confidence and clarity. I'm not going to promise you a magical course or coach or codex, but I cannot help you if you do not raise your hand and say, I'm over here. Subscribe to my daily email list at understoryemails.com. The podcast has the philosophy, but the emails have the insights that you need. The path of understanding never ends, but that does not mean you cannot get to where you want to go. Subscribe to my email list at understoryemails.com. Go like the lantern.